0: The Lord calls us to worship as His people this morning from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant, you children of Jacob, His chosen ones. Amen. Father in heaven, we cry out to you today as your people that we might see the Lord Jesus sitting on his throne high and lifted up, that we would behold him in his beauty and glory. In the word that you have given us, Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds that we might know it and receive it, receive it as truth and life to us. Lord, we pray that the words that we say today, the songs that we sing, the melody that you play in our hearts might be glorifying to you, and that we would Have our hearts tuned together to sing praises to you in a pleasing way. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as your people, the church, to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. And I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of First Peter, chapter 1. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart. Having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. As we continue to worship now, open your hymnal to page 659. Let's sing together. Commit now all your griefs. Excuse me, 669. Children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Come on and have a seat. Good morning. speak with you all this morning about uh, one of the interactions Jesus had uh, with a man in the Bible, and it was an interesting interaction that he had with it, because this young man came to Jesus, and do any of you know what suspenders are?
1: Something that holds up your pants? It is, something that holds up your
0: pants, that's exactly right, and you typically don't have to wear a belt when you wear those, but you can if you want. So, I don't think this man was wearing suspenders the day that he went and spoke to Jesus. But I imagine if he was, he would have had his thumbs in and holding his suspenders out. Because he came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus looked at the man and he said, Keep the commandments. Why do you call me good? Do what the Heavenly Father has already given you. to." And the man looks at Jesus, and I imagine he kind of reared back on those suspenders a little bit with a little bit of a hypocritical smile, and he said, I've done that since I was young. How many of you kept the Ten Commandments, all of them, every day this week?
1: <laughs>
0: we certainly should strive to do it. We should want to obey the Lord and keep His Word, but we sin, the Bible says, we sin every day in many ways in thought, word, and deed. This man was standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus And he said, I've kept the commandments. What else should I do? And Jesus looked at the man, knowing his heart, and he said to him, take all that you have, all the riches and the wealth that you have, sell it and give away the money and give it to the poor and have riches stored up in heaven. And does anybody know what the man did after Jesus told him this? He didn't do it. It says that he went away sorrowful in his heart because he had many possessions. What Jesus was telling the man, he knew his heart. Jesus sees inside your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the things that you love, that you love the most. And he was talking to this man about the kingdom of God and he told him, if you want to be rich in God's kingdom, then you should be willing and ready to give up any of the possessions you have in this world and be rich towards God. Loving Him and serving Him. And that means that your heart can't be attached to everything that you have here. And we'll talk about that more this morning in the sermon. But I want to pray for you now that the Lord, even at your age, that the Lord would be working in your heart that you wouldn't be attached to money or things. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You for our covenant children who are here this morning, who come and listen and are here attentively, to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would, as a church, but also them, Lord, look to you to be the one to provide for us, that we wouldn't set our hearts on the things of this world. And I pray for our covenant children that you would guard their hearts and their minds and their affections, the things that they long after, that they would learn even now that it is not the things of this world that make a person rich, but love and righteousness towards you. And I pray, Lord, that you would work this in their heart at a young age, that they would be able to know the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and to give away than it is to hoard to ourselves. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. For our responsive reading this morning, uh, please turn in your hymnal to page 805. We're going to be. Reciting out loud together, Psalm 56, page 805. I'll begin with the light portion, Psalm 56. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. When I am afraid I will trust in you. In God whose word I
1: grace. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. But like him more than to me.
0: All day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They inspire, they
1: work, they watch my steps, eager to save my
0: life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. My
1: lips, my tears on your Are not your
0: Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God's word, I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you
1: have delivered me from death, and my from
0: I Turn in your hymnals to hymn number 674 and let's stand and sing together I need thee every hour. <laughs> this. and let us pray. Lord Jesus, we have just confessed with our mouth several times over this morning the depth of our need for you. We need you for cleansing because we are sinners. We need you for your presence in our lives because we are unsure and unstable without you. Lord, we need your forgiveness, your care, and your love. And we come to you as a heavenly Father who delights to care for his people. And we confess that we have spent our energy and our time and our money this week on things that do not last. And we have set our hope on things that fail us. And we come to You, Lord, broken and in need of Your healing in our lives. Lord, we come to You with our griefs and our cares, with the heaviness of our hearts and sorrows that are too much for us to bear. And we cry out to You, Lord. Hold us up by Your righteous right hand. Lord, I pray for Your people today who do carry burdens that are heavy and who do depend on the faithful and strong arms of the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet your people today in worship. Lord, I pray for those who struggle under a burden of emotional and mental difficulty. Those who struggle with depression that is real and grips their heart. I pray for those who struggle financially, Lord, who are wondering how the ends will meet. And every month seems to get a little bit further apart. I pray for those, Lord, who are struggling in their finances that you would bless them that you would pour out your riches upon them and that they would look to you to provide. And Lord, I pray for your people who are ministering the gospel around the world, the missionaries that we support. And Lord, particularly, I do pray this morning too for believers in countries around the world where it is not safe for their bodies that they call themselves Christians. I pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and in Russia, throughout Europe, and in Africa and Asia, Lord, our brothers and sisters around the world worship you in fear, hoping to not be found, but looking to you for grace, even if they are. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are fleeing their home, who have left everything behind, hoping to save body and soul. And I pray, Lord, that you would be preserving and growing your church, doing so by your spirit through the spread of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear that gospel today and believe. Would you open the minds and the hearts of your people, give us eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear that we would behold in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and that we wouldn't miss today seeing our Savior and the beauty of holiness in the Scriptures as you have given them to us. In your name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be reading uh, verses 19 through 24 this morning. The sermon is entitled, Ruling Over Our Affections. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. This is the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. I want to begin this morning by saying that this text is particularly challenging. It's challenging to hear and to understand exactly what Jesus is teaching. Not because it is difficult, but because we are hard of hearing and there is much in our ears that needs to be unstopped. And I confess, too, that it is also a difficult text to preach because the one preaching many times is the one who needs to hear it the most. Westminster Shorter Catechism number one says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In another translation, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. These two things don't happen by accident. Arriving at our chief end and walking in wisdom are intentional things that happen by God's Spirit moving in the heart of His children. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that the narrow way leads to life and few find it. And the broad way leads to destruction and many go there. Many walk down that road. These are not empty words that Jesus is speaking to His people as He spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us about life and about death. About true fulfillment and happiness in the Lord. You might remember earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we went through several weeks of blessed are statements. That word blessed can also be translated happy. That most happy people are those who see themselves in the Lord for who they are and see Him as the most beautiful, the most treasured one in all the earth. So as you and I think about life this morning and this difficult text, See it for what it is. It is a a laser beam focused at our hearts, seeing the affections of our hearts. I titled the sermon Ruling Over Our Affections, in the same way that it was spoken to Cain when he came and offered an offering to God. And it was not accepted. And God said to him Sin is crouching at your door, and you must master it. You must rule over your heart and your affections. They are never meant to be your master as we will see later in this text. May our Lord Jesus, the One who died on the cross for our sins and who promised to send us His Spirit, may He be the One who gives us ears to hear and eyes to see that we won't miss the point of this text this morning or be self-deceived into believing just like the rich young ruler. I've done everything you asked of me, Lord. What else can I do for You? In the Bible, having ears to hear and eyes to see are not anatomical Things They are Spirit-inspired gifts that He gives us to live wisely, to glorify Him in the world, and to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and not ourselves. This morning I want to look at these three metaphors. Jesus uses three metaphors to describe living wisely in this world. And He speaks to our hearts about how we use our hearts and our affections, how they can run ahead of us and we can chase after them, or we can rule them and use them for the sake of the glory of the kingdom. Two metaphors to begin with. Treasures and masters. In verses 19-21 to and verse 24. Jesus speaks about two treasures. And here, Jesus is exhorting us to choose. It's your responsibility, dear Christian, to choose. He's talking about your heart and your desires. You have a responsibility here. Choose wisely. There are two treasures. One that is earthly. And he says the earthly treasure, if you set your heart on it, your desire, not if you have them, not if you have riches, but if you set your heart on them as the ultimate thing to pursue, that it's risky. Because earthly treasures are liable to decay and theft. And they are such that you can only enjoy them in this life. They have to stay here. You don't get to take them. They're not going anywhere with you if you leave this world. And no one knows when the Lord will call us home. It could be today. And the things that you have accumulated, they won't go. They will stay here and who knows who gets them what will happen with them. You don't take them when you leave. Jesus says that the moth and the rust destroy everything in this world. In the, when he's speaking about the moth, he's talking about actual bugs that get into the fabrics and the fibers of your clothes and he has in mind people who had rich and extravagant fabrics that even the moth gets in those they don't even know the difference between a rich man's clothes and a poor man's they get in and destroy those too the rust refers to what happens to most metal over time it gets compromised, it gets weakened there are holes, you have to replace it and scab on another piece and hope that it will last a little bit longer. In both cases, moth or rust, neither are fit for their intended purpose again. Neither can be utilized again for what they were intended for. D.A. Carson says that the older commentators pictured a farm along with all of its products and supplies being eroded, corroded, fouled, and destroyed. Those of you that do farming, you know exactly what D.A. Carson is speaking about things have to be replaced. They wear out. You leave them out in the rain, they have to be replaced. They're not going to be able to be used again. But he also speaks about another threat to earthly treasures. He says that there are thieves who break in and steal. And in that day, the walls of the homes were made with clay. So it was quite easy for a thief to pick a spot on a wall and instead of breaking in, he could just dig his way in and go in and plunder all of the treasures inside that home. And in their day and in ours, another thief is galloping and running inflation. It As he's speaking about things that cause destruction, it's anything that causes the things of this world to go away. It could be rising taxes. It could be actual moth and rust, things that cause things to go away. They're not the way they should be. Sinclair Ferguson says, every earthbound treasure is liable to fail. Through deterioration, moth or rust, or through unforeseen circumstances, nobody plans on getting robbed. Only heaven is immune from the ravages of time and sin. Therefore, says Jesus, bank in heaven and not on earth. And I don't think he means just set your heart on there in heaven and not on earth. I think he means the literal business of Banking. Lord, I will make deposit with my life today in heaven because I know if I do it here, there is no return. Where is your heart, dear people? He says there are two types of treasures. We talked about the earthly. And then He talks about the heavenly treasures where it's not risky, where the treasure is safe and secure, where you can enjoy it partially now and Jesus says that you should, but only later. Will you fully enjoy all that the Lord has intended for His people? Well, what are the heavenly treasures? There are some places in the Scriptures that talk about the advanced taste that we will have in heaven. But there are some that the Bible says we are to enjoy now. That the kingdom of heaven has come actually now. And you should have a taste for it here on this earth. It pictures love undiluted. A way of life utterly sinless. Integrity. Untarnished work and responsibility without fatigue, deep emotions without tears, worship without restraint or disharmony or sham, and best of all, the presence of God in an unqualified and unrestricted personal way. Such treasures cannot be assailed by corrosion or theft. Secondly, in verse 24, Jesus speaks about two masters, and here Jesus is stating facts. It's a law of reality of life in this world. He's not asking for opinion. He's not giving his. He's telling us the truth. There were times when Jesus spoke in parables. Here, he's not doing that. He's using metaphors to tell us about reality and about life. And he says you cannot serve two masters. It's not the traditional employer-employee relationship that might come to mind or that you think about today. Jesus is not saying that it's unwise to have two jobs. In fact, many people do. And it's certainly not impossible to have two. Many of you do two different things every week. And you've gotten used to it. But the Master, in this case, is the one who has the right to call on the servant for undivided loyalty and service with no particular end. In this way, it's impossible to give this kind of allegiance and service to two masters, you can't do it. If you have two people saying, I have to be the number one priority, somebody's going to be disappointed. Somebody's going to be frustrated. Jesus uses the word serve here. You cannot serve two masters. It's a worship word in the Bible. And to serve anything else but God in the Bible is considered idolatry. To turn your back on God and His people and His covenant faithfulness. You can't serve God and also serve something else as number one. It's not possible. It was never simply business for the people of God to worship Him and to offer sacrifice to Him. When they came with their sacrifices to the temple, as they approached the altar, they came with their sin. But they also came saying, I belong to the Lord. This sacrifice is what He requires of me as His child. And I am saying that in the midst of all the dividedness of my heart, that I am pledging my heart of allegiance to Him and to Him alone and to no one else. It always involved the heart. And that's why throughout the Bible, the image of adultery is used when it speaks of God's people walking away from Him. It was never simply coming to do business with God. You don't do transactions with our Heavenly Father. There is a relationship Jesus did the only transaction that would ever qualify to be acceptable in his sight. And he says at the end of verse 24, You cannot serve God and mammon. What's mammon? It's an interesting word in the Bible, and it's really anything that one might put their trust and confidence and hope in. And it's why money is an easy translation, and some of you might have that in your Bible. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon is anything that you seek for security. Seeking security, says Sinclair Ferguson, in this world and in its possessions is a recipe for producing anxieties rather than relieving them. The more we gather possessions in order to feel secure, the more we feel we need them in order to be secure. And then the more we need to guard them to maintain that security. Therefore, the less secure we actually are. It is a familiar saying that wealth does not buy happiness. And here Jesus explains why. Because happiness depends on lasting wealth. And we've already said that everything that you could accumulate here doesn't last. It will fade away. It will go away. Moth will eat it. Rust will eat it away. Thieves will break in and steal it. Inflation will take it away. And there might be some of you saying, I'm not particularly wealthy, if you don't know preacher or I don't have particularly a lot of money but if you look at our brothers and sisters around the world we are people most rich there are people who would love to have the scraps that we discard let alone what we enjoy every day and this is not to be down on the progress that we have made or that anyone should feel bad about working hard you shouldn't you should be proud that you work hard and provide for your family and have a way and a means to take care of yourself But we shouldn't say that we can dismiss ourselves from the Scripture simply because we are not overly wealthy, as the world says. Our hearts and our minds should be transformed to think about these things as God's Word says. I believe the the turning point or the linchpin of this whole passage is in the middle. And it seems like the one that sticks out like a sore thumb, honestly. Verses 22-23. to Why in the world did Jesus stick two bookends talking about money and wealth and storing up treasures in heaven rather than storing them up on earth? Why did He spend this time to put two verses talking about your eye and eyesight and light and lamps? Why did He do that? It seems like He was just picking out random things and putting them together. Either that or Matthew got confused when he put the book together. But I believe if we understand these two verses, we actually understand the verses around it. Jesus is here saying that the eye is the lamp of the body. And if it is good, then your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Jesus is saying this is how we do the choosing. Your eye is how you do the choosing. It's how you decide what treasures to store up here and what treasures to store up in heaven. It's how you decide which master you will serve. You do so through your eye, through the eyes that God has given you. What is he saying? What does this mean? He's saying that your eye is the guide for your entire body. It's because of the eye that you can open and see light, that light is actually helpful to you at all. Without it, you wouldn't know what you're touching without seeing. Without it, you wouldn't know you're walking into something or tripping over it. And that's not to say that some of us don't do those things even with eyes wide open. We even ask ourselves sometimes, are you even looking? The word translated good here, he says if your eye is good, it means that your eye is single or sound, undivided. With a good eye, you see clearly. You're able to make an assessment of a problem in front of you. You can read clearly to use your mind to understand. You behold beautiful things in God's creation with your eye because of light. In the Bible, the guide for a person is their heart. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The place where all of your desires originate. How you make decisions. What you use to evaluate different options that are in front of you. And as we have been saying for several weeks, we always follow our desires. We always do what we desire. We can never assign our actions to someone else or to something else. We always act from our hearts. Our Lord is speaking about the eye of the Spirit, our heart here, in these two verses. In the language of Scripture, fixing your eye and fixing your heart amount to the same thing. Focusing our attention and concentrating all of our energies on something Jesus is saying that the dark spirit of anxiety that grips so many lives is caused by failure to focus spiritually and by thinking about life with a mistaken or a diseased perspective, a lack of vision. That diseased eyesight affects more than just your eyes. The greatest tragedy is that the whole body is full of darkness and so it is with our hearts. Poor spiritual vision, having wrong spiritual priorities, Influences the entire direction of your life. And you say, well, you're just talking about my church life, preacher. No, I'm talking about your whole life. Jesus says every bit of it is on or off the tracks based on how you use your eyes here in this text. And if you miss it, you miss out on life. And life is fleeting. It is short. It is here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible says that our life is a vapor. We are not promised more breath later today. We could be called to heaven this afternoon. How do these things go together? How does a good eye relate to the two treasures and the two masters? The one who has a good eye is one who makes a wise evaluation about the correct place to invest his heart, his life, his energy, his worship and his work, either on earth now or in heaven for all eternity. This is a wisdom issue about life. It's why I read from Proverbs earlier that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. The very beginning. That's not the end. Some are mistaken that coming to church, well, I believe the Gospel. That's it. Now I can ride and coast all the way into glory. But Jesus says that it's the beginning of wisdom to fear the Lord. Not the end. It's the first steps that you take. It's a wisdom issue. Where do I invest my soul? Where do I put all of my faith? Where should I rest all of my hope? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature, who are wise, who have learned and gained wisdom through life. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you know someone that it seems that every time they are presented an option in life, one of two choices, or maybe one of many choices, they always seem to choose the minority road. They're always picking what seems to be the oddball way to make a decision. Is it you? Do you always seem to make the wrong choice? Have you sought after the Lord that He would give you wisdom? Cry out to Him and He will answer it. He will give you wisdom in Himself. He will give you Himself He loves to answer that prayer. But there's something about the economy of how God works in this world and in the next that is different and upside down from everything it seems that we are taught in this world about success and right and wrong. And apparently, the world is made the way that Jesus is talking about here. And I say it with tears in my eyes because many of us pursue wealth and treasure the way the world tells us to. And then we come to the Lord with our sorrows and the brokenness and emptiness of our hearts and say, why Lord? Why am I coming again confessing this? But this is the way He made it. It's His design, not ours. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting the first things first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, thirty three that we will look at next week seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In a letter that C. S. Lewis wrote to Don Bede Giffins in nineteen fifty one, he says Put first things first, and we get the second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasures of food at its best when we are being greedy. There's something about our hearts that runs after things. And your heart goes before you even know it. And what Jesus is saying in the Scripture here is that He has filled us with His Spirit that we would rule our affections. That they would not be our master, but we would be their master by His Spirit according to grace. And that means that you can't let your heart run after everything that it sees. That means you have to exercise self-discipline And I'm not speaking as a financial advisor to you, talking only to you about your money. There are so many more things in this world that your heart runs after. Things that you wish you had that aren't money that you can't go buy at the store. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Set your minds on things above, not on the earth. Set your mind. You're responsible, Christian. Set your mind. Set your mind is what Paul says. Jesus is not against earthly wealth, and I'm not preaching against it this morning. He's not against you having things that you can enjoy here at all. And He's not against saving up for a rainy day. He's against you investing or being deceived that lasting wealth actually exists here and that you should spend all of your lifeblood for satisfaction here and now. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17-19, to Paul speaks to those who are rich through Timothy. He says, "...command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be prideful, nor to trust in uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy." Let them do good that they will be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Either you will lay hold of eternal life in heaven or you will lay hold only of treasures here. Jesus says you have to choose. You can't do both. It's not possible. It is physically and spiritually not possible to be in love with this world and in love with satisfying yourself on the things of this world, and then say that you're satisfied in Jesus. You can't do both. God's people, the church, are not immune to this. If we take the teaching and the advertisement of this world, material and wealth and prosperity are the ultimate marks of God's blessings. If I have all of these things and 10,000 in the bank, I'm doing fine. I am set and ready for heaven. Whereas Jesus tells us the marks of God's blessings are poverty of spirit mourning over sin and persecution for the sake of righteousness. Real spirituality is not seen in gathering wealth. God is not pleased with you if you have money. And He's not displeased with you, dear child of God, if you are a poor beggar. Real spirituality is being delivered from loving money with everything in your soul, whether you have it or not. Lastly, I want to finish with the parable of the hidden treasure. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus was speaking about the high costliness of the kingdom of God and the high costliness that it should have in our own soul. How much we should yearn and long for it. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. He found the treasure and hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's your life. That's your heart. That's your affections. What you're supposed to rule over and reign over in your heart by God's Spirit. And He says, when you find the kingdom of God, it is like someone who found a treasure and hid it in the field and he went and sold everything and went and bought that field and rejoiced over it. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Not the... Typical sermon this morning. I didn't have three points. I had a hard time getting out of one point. But we will finish this text next week as we look at Matthew chapter 6 and go to verse 34 as we talk about what it means to be anxious in a world that is filled with anxiety. And as we look to our Heavenly Father to provide for His children. And we're answering the question this week and next, is God enough for His people? Is He enough for you? Let's stand together and pray. Father, I thank You that You have gathered us as Your people together today to worship You. And I pray, Lord, that You would minister the Word of this Gospel in our hearts. We need it desperately and we cry out to You confessing that we are sinful people and we need to hear the truth. Lord, we pray that You would push out all the noise and voices that we hear that don't glorify the Lord Jesus, that tell us that wealth is here, that security is here, and that we should invest in it now. Lord, we pray that You would spare us the many pangs and hurts that Your Word says belong to those who pursue wealth only in this world. And Lord, we pray as we sing in just a moment and as we give an offering to Your glory that You would help us to lose the grip in our hearts on the things that we think will last. In Your name, Amen. Turn in your hymnal to page 650 as we sing together, I will sing of my Redeemer. to the glory of God. That is the prayer of our hearts. Take our heart and let it be. Lord, would you be on the throne of our hearts and our lives, our affections. And as we have given now for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, our tithes and our offerings as you taught us to do in your word, Lord, we pray that you would use them for the sake of your glory and the spread of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that we would be wise in using these resources that you have put in our hands. We are stewards, it is not our own. And we pray, Lord, that You would meet our needs. We pray that You would take care of our families and our friends. And Lord, use us as we give faithfully to do that. In Your name, Amen. see you back tonight as we hear a missionary report. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God whose affection never cools, whose attention never wavers, whose arm never relaxes, and whose grace never fails, rescue you from every evil attack and bring you safely to His heavenly kingdom. Amen.